right? Part two of our limited series Dude. starts now. If Part you two. missed last time, it was about me. This one all about, about Seth. Patrick. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be fun. We're going to yeah. be asking you some deep, hard insightful, questions. hard-hitting questions. What is my opinion about the American space program? And specifically how Finding Nemo relates to the American space. Specifically Finding Nemo. Did we land on the moon? Were there clownfish there? The world may never know. Um, (laughs) But yeah, we're excited to hear Patrick's journey of uh, why he thinks the way he thinks. I've been wondering. I'm so so excited (laughs) to hear that too, yes. Uh, No, but yeah, excited to uh, jump into this and uh, close out our two-part limited series on uh, special edition special edition platinum series platinum series x on um our journey so without further ado we will uh do a little movie segment and jump into talking about trick thanks for joining us Welcome. It's the McManus Movie Corner, but it's not actually the McManus. I hijacked the McManus Movie Corner. I'm That's holding right. it hostage. That's right. Uh, I've got a metaphorical gun to its metaphorical head. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> no, uh, so I, I'm going to talk, uh, since this episode is all about me, you get to hear more about me. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk about a film that I um, I enjoy. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like one of the most amazing films ever. It's not, you know, Oscar worthy, certainly. Um, but it's just, it's it's fun. I like watching it. Um, and it just kind of hits a lot of the um, targets that I look for in a movie that I just want to enjoy and maybe not think about a whole lot. <laughs> um, so I'm going to talk today about The Hundred Foot Journey. It's a, it's a film uh, directed by Lasse Hallström. He's a Swedish director. It came out in 2014. Uh, it was produced by DreamWorks. So please, whatever you do, please do not go watch the trailer. The trailer is so, it's so bad. Oh my god! They make it look like it's uh, like uh, early 2000s kids movie yeah. with the you know peppy music. Also and, produced by Steven Spielberg. Yeah, and Oprah, and Oprah which I did not. I didn't know either of those things. Yeah. But um, it stars Helen Mirren, um, Dame Helen Mirren, uh, and it's. Uh, it's actually a really it's a it's a light-hearted film uh, about food uh, that also manages to talk about things like uh, cultural difference and nationalism and racism mm. and uh, ethnicity and a little bit of religion and politics so I quite like it um, it uh, is focused on a, a family from India uh, who have a successful uh, restaurant in India and then one day because of an election uh, and uh, they happen to be a Muslim minority uh, in a Hindu majority portion of India they uh, are attacked by an angry mob um, their restaurant is set on fire the mother ends up dying in that fire and they flee they actually are granted asylum in the United Kingdom um, and they don't really 
like it there very much in the United Kingdom. It doesn't quite fit with them. So their dad, uh, and there's like five or six different kids of varying ages, uh, takes them on a road trip throughout uh, Europe. Uh, and then while they're in the middle of nowhere in France, their brakes stop working and they crash their car right next to a little tiny French town. Um, and they end up opening an Indian restaurant in the French town exactly a hundred feet away from a fancy Michelin star uh, French restaurant. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to tell you anything else about it because it's just a fantastic f uh, film. Mm -hmm. um, it, it dives uh, into uh, first food. Uh, it yeah, talks about, arts. right. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, you have, you know, films about like food trucks and chefs and stuff. And it has a little bit of like traditional foodie, um, movie style stuff especially with yeah. the french restaurant mm -hmm. and you have all like the french food and the fancy side of that but then you get into like the they they really just like they try to show you the like aroma and the earthiness and the the flavor and the spice of the indian food and it's just beautiful yes. um which is arguably just, one of the best types of food oh on I, the un undoubtedly <laughs> like if i had to pick any like specific cuisine yeah, uh, that might. That I don't know what Helen Mirren's problem is in this right? movie. Yeah, come on, the she greatest the food in the world just Good moved Lord. across the street. <laughs> from her, but that's um, fine. but it is. Goes. I mean, it, and it, and it. But even beyond, like the food is just kind of a pretext for them to yeah. talk about like difference of culture, mm -hmm. um, which is something that is even still like difficult to converse with, mm -hmm. um, and ways that we prioritize different things based on how we were raised, mm -hmm. um, and there's there's initially a lot of clashing between the family um, and they want to preserve like the way that they're doing things, but the, the local townspeople also want to preserve the way they're doing things and they don't like the music they're playing or the food and you know, uh, th there's a lot of back and forth. Um, but eventually with a couple of the characters, there's this desire and, the, and this almost necessity to like learn to live with, but also to learn from one another. Um, and I think that's really important, not just uh, in an intercultural or cross-cultural context, um, but even in your own community, um, there's almost no community that's totally homogenous in, in your traditions and in your beliefs, um, as we kind of dive into in our two episodes. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's important to try and learn from people and not just tolerate their differences. Um, and this film does that and also makes you so hungry. And that's fantastic. Yeah. Such a good movie. So take a 20 foot journey to your couch. Yes. To watch the 100, 100 foot, foot journey. journey classic. Do it today. It, yeah, yes. I've also seen the movie. I had to. I spent a long time since I've seen it. But yeah, watching the terrible trailer reminded me how much I enjoyed it and yeah. what a, a good story it is. So definitely check it out. Um, it's not a life changing film, but it's it's something you'll enjoy. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it'll make you feel good mm -hmm. about the world, which yeah. we need right now. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, I'm sure the themes of this film will also apply to your story we're talking yeah. about today. So we'll get right into that now. Right, so uh, Patrick, excited to jump into your yeah. journey, your story yeah. of uh, kind of tracing your political and religious um, views and experiences and narratives. Narrative, narrative. Yeah. Yeah. big picture meta narrative, as Ooh. we would say in Bible college. Nice, nice. Um, but yeah, so why don't we just start <laughs> off? Um, like, give a, what's the background? Like, how did sure. how do you remember religion starting? And like, wh what were your first memories of? politics and religion, how they affected you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so my parents um, were both uh, always very engaged 
in uh, the ch church scene, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, from very different parts of the country, they met in college. They had me when they were seminary students. Um, but growing up, they were both heavily influenced by different uh, Christian movements, kind of based on where they were regionally. My mom's family is from Colorado um, and very engaged in kind of the first what eventually became like modern today mega churches in Colorado, but but very much um, Christian re Christian restoration movement, uh, a lot like I think the tradition that you were raised in. Yeah. Um, that was very much her background. My dad also um, raised in the church in Pennsylvania, so on the East Coast. Um, I think I think everyone considers Pennsylvania the East Coast, right? That's not like um, a yeah, it yeah, counts. for the most part. It okay. gets a, it gets a participation medal. It gets a participation <laughs> medal. I that's great, yeah. Um, so uh, again, involved in the church, um, but he also grew up very much in uh, Amish country. Um, so while he was not Amish, his family was not Amish. He was interacting with their ideas, with the people there, a lot. Um, so they both had um, overlapping but still different ideas of what the church looked like. Uh, met at a Christian college. Um, again, had me as a seminary student, as seminary students, but I don't remember any of that um, because when I was a year and a half old, my parents moved with me uh, to Kenya uh, where they would be missionaries for about the next decade. So you're um, a missionary kid, I a am third culture kid. A missionary a kid. Special an unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, and kind of what you dove into a little bit with homeschool kids, there's these perceptions of what <laughs> missionary kids look like, of what uh, third culture kids, if you've heard that phrase, uh, what they're supposed to act like. Um, and they are a little uncomfortable because you either are supposed to be, you know, super, you know, able to fit into every context in a super fluid way and you enjoy everything, you're willing to try new experiences, or you're incredibly sheltered, mm. you have no understanding of the world beyond what you have been taught by your parents, mm. um, and there's often little space between the two. Mm. Uh, I never really fell into that one way or another, I don't think. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think, I feel like with the homeschool thing, it's kind yeah. of similar where there's like an expectation or a stigma yes. of social awkwardness. It's like, uh -huh, uh -huh. you are probably just don't quite like connect with everyone in the same way because sure. you grew up somewhere else so you probably are socially which is so strange to assign specifically to you know like uh, uh homeschool kids or missionary kids because everyone has those awkward interactions with people or some people they just don't quite click with mm -hmm. and it often has very little to do with the school you went to <laughs> or the classes you took right um it's just kind of a, a interpersonal thing mm -hmm. um but I was, so I, I was raised in um, extremely rural East Africa, a place called Turkana, Kenya, um, which is a, a desert in Northwest Kenya. So this wasn't Nairobi, this wasn't the big city. Yeah. Um, and Africa has a lot of big cities, some of the largest in the world. Yeah, like um, Wakanda. <laughs> Just kidding, Wakanda's not real. this water on you. <laughs> Please do. No, yes, Africa is very uh, rude, Yeah, but, but I grew up, um, living in various very small villages, Turkana villages. Um, we would be the only um, non-indigenous African people yeah. uh, for miles around. Uh, we had teammates, but we would often live, you know, two, three, four hours away from one another. Mm -hmm. um, and this really uh, opened my eyes from the very beginning to the all-encompassing um, identity of the church within every context. Mm -hmm. um, and, and seeing uh, some of my earliest, earliest memories of the church, 
uh, are on Sundays going to the local village church uh, in maybe Congarisa or Lopuela. And that wasn't a building. It was a large tree, maybe a 20-minute walk from the village. And we would all sit in a circle under the tree and try not to step on any thorns. And we would sing and we would jump up and down. Um, and we would all take communion out of the same cup, um, which was probably crazy unsanitary, but it was yeah. just it was just the context, <laughs> yep. right? Um, and that was what I was raised in. Uh, and I didn't really think it was strange. I didn't think it was strange that I was um, the only white redheaded kid <laughs> for a hundred miles. Yeah. Uh, that's just what it was. Um, but I, I kind of had this awareness that um, this was my home, Turkana was my context, but it also wasn't um, because people would look at me strange and people would talk about my hair when they wouldn't talk about any of my friends' hair. Um, and I had to you know, wear sunblock and a hat every time I went outside. None of my friends had to do that. Why did I have to do that? Um, so that kind of got me thinking about um, you know, differences in people. And as kids, we do that. You know, we, we categorize people differently and, mm -hmm. and, and putting people into categories is not inherently wrong or inappropriate. Um, and I definitely did that as a kid. I didn't quite know what it was, but I knew that, you know, I was like these people. I was like my friends, but I was also different in some ways. And that was okay. And that was fine. And I, I was okay with that. Um, it was always especially strange when I would come back to visit the United States, either to, to support Ray's or to see my family, um, because suddenly, like, I was out of my element. I was no longer in... Uh, rural Africa, I was in like Atlanta, Georgia and Denver, Colorado um, and uh, I was seeing people who looked like me and that was weird. It was really strange um, for a long time and, and I, um, I had to learn to try and reconcile myself with that being in some ways a minority um, in my um, most comfortable context and then being um, told that I was at home in the United States and feeling very uncomfortable when everyone looked like me. Mm. Um, and I think the more people I interact with, the more I realize that that's not how a lot of people are raised, um, but that's okay. And that there's not really a right or a wrong way to do that. Um, another advantage, maybe, uh, maybe advantage is the wrong word. An another thing that really um, uh, impressed itself upon me when I lived in East Africa was that uh, I had this opportunity to interact with so many people of different faith and understanding. Mm -hmm. um, there were the church leaders that my parents worked with, um, who often spoke different languages from me, but had similar understandings of God and of faith that my parents did, that I was mm -hmm. being taught to understand. Um, when I would go and sit with the local kids, they would be learning the same Bible stories I would be learning, right? About Jonah, about David and Goliath. I loved David and Goliath. Um, it's a bop. As it far is as a Bible, bop. As far as, as, Bible, as, far stories as Bible stories go, it's a bop. Yeah. <laughs> Hits you right on the head. Um, <laughs> but uh, there, were, there were a lot of other Christians in the area. Um, there were uh, Anglicans all over the place. There were Catholics. Um, and there were uh, large populations of Muslims, of other non-Christians. There was a very heavy Somali population that were... were uh, overwhelmingly, not all, but overwhelmingly Muslim. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was also a lot of people that still practiced um, the indigenous beliefs of, of their culture, of their context. Mm -hmm. um, and that often took the form of um, uh, spiritualists, diviners, 
Uh, I feel like the words like witch doctor is is a little inappropriate. It's pejorative. It, it, yeah, it it's is. An older, yeah, older yeah, yeah, yeah. way that people um, say. In Turkana, it. they're called the the Nimorok, um, but we would say shaman now and yeah, a spiritual maybe a diviner yeah, even a might be appropriate leader, to a certain yeah. extent. Um, but but that was very much a part of the community, and for a lot of Christians in that community, um, that didn't conflict with their faith, with their belief in Jesus, with their uh, work with the church. Um, they would, you know, have their elder pray for their sick kid, but then they would also bring in the Nimorok mm-hmm. when their child was sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just a different experience um, than, you know, going and sitting in a church in the United States when I was a kid um, and seeing the way that they worshipped. And that, uh, that was okay, and I, I understood that that was different and it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really the base understanding of faith that I had mm-hmm. as a kid um, was that, you know, people practice things differently, and that's okay. I didn't quite understand what was different. Sometimes people talked about differences in a way that was negative, mm-hmm. but I didn't really get it at that point. Um, another thing very impactful for me as a kid, uh, especially as I got a little bit older, uh, was I would be hearing and reading all these stories about, you know, missions and famous famous missionaries and evangelists and all the great work that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading about, like, um, like Hudson Taylor, Cameron Townsend, uh, these historic evangelists, even like, uh, I, am a big history nerd. I always have been. So even when I was like eight or nine, I'd be reading about, you know, the great awakening in the 18th century American colonies and people like George Whitfield, um, Jonathan Edwards, um, uh, sinners in the hands of an angry god right yeah. so so like His these famous sermons. yes that yeah, yeah, yeah very much like and like these giant revivals yeah uh, and connecting with the emotions or... of people right and like yeah. this personal faith of like christianity and god and jesus is something so deeply tied to each person's identity and i loved yeah. that and that was amazing um and, and i still connect to a certain degree with that um this feeling that like I have a role in the work of the body of Christ on this world to try and improve the place around me, mm-hmm. to care for my neighbors. Um, like the church is important, but also I am important as an individual. And it, and it gave a level of validity. Um, I do think also it might have made me a little um, pompous <laughs> as a kid. Yeah. Um, like hearing like, oh, these missionaries were amazing. And it's so cool that you're being raised as a missionary. And I'm like, yeah. You know, maybe I am like a really cool Christian six-year-old, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think I'm really smart. <laughs> we talked about in the, the episode on missions earlier, like yeah. how there's kind of a tendency to either villainize or like unrealistically elevate missionaries. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I'm sure that's probably just a response to like what the American church and a lot of Christians are doing is like putting you on this pedestal and maybe that you're even putting yourself on a pedestal to say, mm-hmm. I'm a part of this awesome thing and like, I'm really cool and I'm unique. And sure. so that I'm yeah. sure as a kid, that's like, that just makes total sense like, sure. to be thinking. That. I mean, I, I remember similar things when I was a kid. Yeah. Know, being a part of the inner circle, being a part of this cool thing, it, it can allow you to look I, yeah, down. You know, you feel valued, level. you yeah. feel accepted. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so I was I was baptized I think when I was uh, eight years old I had been asking if I could get baptized to my parents since I was maybe five or six <laughs> because I loved um, seeing everyone you know take communion together in church and I was like yeah I want to do that I want to you know eat that bread um, I didn't have any understanding beyond that and and yeah. it took a couple years and even when I was baptized I, I questioned still whether or not I should have waited longer whether or not I yeah. should have you know, understood to a different degree. Mm-hmm. 
because certainly my experience with that now is different. Yeah. Um, but I, I was aware of, of the choice I was making. Yeah. Right. And I knew that this was uh, at a fundamental level, um, a commitment, like almost an allegiance mm -hmm. to the church, whatever that meant to Christianity, to, mm -hmm. to what, whatever that looked like. Um, I think my understanding now is a little different, but, but I think that kind of sure. remains, um, trying to think of what else in my, my early childhood, uh, well, politically, <laughs> I can I can get into that a little bit. Um, the biggest exposure I had to government, to politics, to politicians, uh, was the fact that we were um, non-naturalized uh, residents. Mm. Um, we weren't citizens of Kenya. We were American citizens. I've been a, a U.S. citizen my whole life. But we were living legally in this other country. Um, so technically, we were uh, resident aliens of Kenya. Um, and when we had we had our we had our passports we had our visa cards and we'd have to get our visas renewed every couple years and we'd go into the office and my parents would always drag me and my brother because we were cute little kids and they always liked to make sure the the families <laughs> with the kids got through quickly um, and uh, they would put a big stamp on our passports and our our visas that you know it was like approved alien permit mm. I was like that's so weird it felt. Um, dehumanizing almost even though you know like you're following the law you're doing what you're supposed to yeah. um, but that was my first really only interaction for a very long time um, a lot of critiques from uh, people in my community growing up in Kenya that you know the government is corrupt and they don't like us and they don't help us and they steal our money mm. I'm like oh man these politicians like this government thing must be awful <laughs> right it must be terrible um, I didn't really understand much beyond that um, when I was uh, not quite 10 years old, uh, my family left the mission field. Uh, we moved to the American South, uh, where I was born. I was born in East Tennessee. Um, and we lived for the next uh, four years, four and a half years uh, in the South, but not, not North Florida. We didn't live in North Florida, <laughs> which well, I would South argue is, the South is not homogenous. East Tennessee is probably <laughs> geographically, while it's not farther south, culturally, it's about as south. I mean, it's there's about, yeah, there's the yeah. South, and then there's Tennessee, and then there's <laughs> East Tennessee. So uh, I I started going to public school. Um, I I we lived for a while in Tennessee, and then we moved to Kentucky to Lexington, Kentucky, which is a, a decently sizable city in the South. Um, and suddenly I wasn't seen as different, right? I didn't appear as different. I wasn't the only white person in a, a majority black community. Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was uh, I wouldn't necessarily say diverse, but I was certainly not in the minority anymore. I was yeah. certainly in, in, the, in the majority. Um, and that was unsettling. Um, it, was a little, it was a little strange to adjust to that. Um, and I think because of that, I grew very introverted. I was kind of closed off from things. Mm -hmm. um, little bit of a side tangent but I got involved in community theater <laughs> as a kid in middle nice. school uh, and that really like allowed me to express myself I learned how to engage um, how to interact with people in a better way um, and that's really like how I regained my confidence in um, and being in this place where I didn't feel like I quite fit in mm -hmm. um, I think also because of that, I, I always had this exposure to people who weren't quite like me. Even when I was, you know, 
um, white in a mostly white place. I was no longer in East Africa. Um, I was interacting with people in the theater program who were from um, lower economic, you know, demographic areas and people who weren't Christian and were not raised by Christian parents. And, and so I still had this exposure to, to people different from me. Um, and because I was kind of always raised with that and inundated with that, that wasn't very strange to me. I just kind of took it in stride. I didn't think much about it. It didn't really push me to question a lot of what I believed. Mm. Um, but I never really saw them as anything less than just, you know, who they were. Um, one of the first frustrations I encountered uh, religiously or with the church um, was in Kentucky. Um, my parents had both been ordained before they went on the mission field. Mm -hmm. They were both, you know, you know, they'd been missionaries for a decade. So they're, they're incredibly well thought. Um, they have this deep understanding of the gospels and the church and, and scripture and how to study it. Um, my dad was in uh, a doctoral school to get his, his uh, doctorate, <laughs> um, and, and my mom was working at a church. Um, and she was, uh, in fact, more qualified than you know, the, the main pastor there. But because she was a woman uh, in the South, she was the children's minister. They would not assign her the role of pastor. Yeah. They wouldn't let her, you know, pray on the, the stage, Quote <laughs> the stage. Yeah. Um, and and they they restricted the role that she had, despite recognizing her qualifications, mm -hmm. despite talking about valuing and accepting and loving one's neighbor. And I grew really frustrated with that. I couldn't quite reconcile um, the way the church that I was, you know, encountering the way that my friends were talking like the way that they talked about things and then the way that they lived that out, even within their own community. Yeah, um, yeah. I will add just as, yeah. a, as a side note to this, that this is something that is, I think, a huge disparity within like evangelical church and missions. Because like, mm -hmm. you know, your mom mm -hmm. as a missionary in Kenya yeah. is leading a church, you yeah. know, is, is, is um, I'm, you know, given opportunities to do pretty much anything. And the church yeah. in the United States is funding them, is sure. encouraging, oh, yeah. is praying for them, yeah. is including them. And, you know, is a huge part of the reason why they're there. And the second she comes back to the United States, it's like, oh, you can't lead in our church because our view is this and that about... Like, that's a huge disparity yeah. that I think is is one of the glaring issues with both the evangelical church and and missions. And yeah. I think, I'm sure, I, you know, experiencing that on a firsthand level. Well, like and, I grew, and I grew really frustrated. Uh, I mean, you know, I was... Uh, like 13, 14 at the time. So I was, I was young, but I was starting to understand yeah. or, or maybe see in a different way um, the nuances of, of people's beliefs. And, and I saw on one hand, like the way this church and other churches and other Christians, you know, cared for and supported passionately missions and particularly overseas missions to help um, often people who didn't look like them, right? Um, and, and, and I saw the value in that. And then I would see the way that they treated other people right next to them mm -hmm. um, and the way that they would denigrate um, uh, single parent uh, households mm -hmm. um, and the way that they wouldn't want their kids to go into certain neighborhoods in the city because it was unsafe mm -hmm. um, when they wouldn't really you know, expand upon what that meant. Um, and I, I didn't know how to reconcile that. So I just kind of like w lived through these those years with this deep-seated frustration of like seeing uh, 
part of the international church uh, in how I was raised and places I visited. Um, my aunt and uncle also were missionaries in Southeast Asia for a long time, so I, I had experienced a small glimpse of the church there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming back to the States and seeing that, yeah, like they're, they're so supportive of that, but then they're doing these other things. Um, and I didn't quite get it. Um, so in high school, uh, we had moved again. My family is perpetually nomadic. <laughs> um, and I was no longer in the South. I was in a totally different context. Um, I went to high school in Southern California, just South of LA, Orange County. Definitely not Ooh. the South. Yeah, I, much more cosmopolitan, I think. Um, uh, certainly uh, ethnically, religiously, even linguistically. Um, the high school I went to was um, majority uh, Hispanic, Latino, Latina. Um, but I, I had friends who uh, represented these traditions and these ethnicities from all over the world, right? So I, I had friends from Mexico and Colombia, and then I had friends who were Jewish and who were Scandinavian American. I had friends who were Mormon and um, Catholic. And, and um, I had interacted maybe to certain degrees with some of those before, but never on such a personal level. Yeah. Um, and, and I really like understood the humanity of those those differences and seeing value in those differences as well was really important to me. Um, and because of that, I began to see, I, I think, a certain futility in uh, trying to place boundaries on what faith and the church in a Christian context can look like for people. Mm-hmm. Um, like taking that, combining it with my understanding of the church as a kid, I was like, why are we trying to tell people this is how best to practice, and if you do it otherwise, this is how you can't do it, or this, this, is, how you, this, this is who you can accept into the church, and if you don't fit these norms, you have to adjust, or else you can't worship with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that felt, um, that felt like it was only serving to protect and preserve one's own traditions, mm-hmm. rather than uh, attempting to embrace the the um, ecumenical aspect of the body of Christ yeah um, well I think that's like a that's a huge disparity that I think people our age uh, experiences like you go to school and yeah. you experience diversity you, you experience like what the Bible describes as the kingdom of God like all these different people groups united under one common thing and then you go to church and it's like everyone thinks and looks the same way mm-hmm. and like that disconnect we're supposed to be this religion that is and a welcoming community and that pursues diversity and recognizes the image of god in each person yeah. but then most of what we as christians spend time doing is like <laughs> building those walls and setting up those boundaries exactly. to say who can exactly. be in and who, yeah. who can. so well, as, i mean it's gatekeeping it's, it's gatekeeping yeah. and as a as a teenager i'm sure you're like struggling with that like sure. what does that look like like yeah. why is it this way this is not how i it's not at your core you know that this isn't the faith that maybe you had yeah. those early memories of. Yeah. well and and at that time as well you know i was still very involved in theater especially in my school um i i worked hard to try and like um, engage in that to learn skills from that and I'm, I'm very grateful for that um, but at the at the beginning I couldn't quite understand like why some of my friends from that um, community were upset when I was talking about my faith when I told them like you know my background being a missionary kid um, and I was I was almost getting frustrated at them like why do you not understand like yeah there might be bad Christians or whatever but I'm not like that um, and it wasn't until they, a couple friends, just directly like really pushed me to be like, hey, um, this is how 
uh, the church. This is how Christians have hurt me deeply. Um, that I began to maybe question, like, how do I how do I best care for people um, beyond just you know saying that I love my neighbors. Um, that was really the first time I interacted on a deep level with the LGBT community, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, I quickly became very passionate about um, trying to figure out where I fit theologically um, on that, and then realized, like, eh, you know, I, I think what's more important is how do, how do I care for these people? Mm-hmm. How, how do I see these people who are my friends mm-hmm. as uh, <laughs> people? right they're not just an issue they're not they're not an opinion to be held they're people who deeply and desperately need community who desperately need identity um and uh, in my opinion desperately need like the the church and the love of god um and and on top of that they have um skills and they have you know uh uh, identities that contribute to that and that make it more fuller and 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 richer um and uh, because of that, I, I really like that was really what pushed me to look at things that we would consider like political issues today. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I initially was hesitant to like talk about um, things like LGBT um, uh, equality in the church or women in ministry as something that was political because mm-hmm. I, it didn't feel political. Yeah, it, it, it felt just like, you know, it's personal. Mm-hmm. Right. It's about these people. Um, but I mean, I think for one of a better uh, term of understanding these topics, I think I think that works fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so in high school, I, I just kind of dove into trying to understand these political issues that I had I had always kind of let simmer on the back burner, but never really thought about much. It's like, yeah. oh, these people are different, and that's okay, but I don't really get it. Um, and I really just like I tried to research like, well, how how have we historically as a society like. Um, helped people who are different? How have we hurt people who are different from us? How do we try and bring that together? How do we reconcile that? Um, I joined my school newspaper, um, which was incredible. Eventually, you were like a little cap and drive around on a bike and deliver papers? I wrote a little notebook and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stand Uh on the street corner. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, all that good stuff. Not that kind of newspaper. (laughs) Not that kind of newspaper, no. Um, But uh, beyond being just like another community with a whole different diverse set of, of people and opinions um, I uh, I began to actually jump into to policy and how political actions can um, impact communities um, rather than just being you know rhetoric and things politicians say right that kind of thing um, I, I eventually I became <laughs> like the political commentator for my school newspaper nice. um, editor-in-chief in my last year there and I, I was very engaged in like how do I tell these stories mm-hmm. how do I get these things out how do I how do I encompass the opinions of the community that is my high school how do I try and impact change how do I call out the things that are wrong um, and because of that uh, I kind of saw an opportunity to really like engage with politics and, and, and eventually in, in college political science um, I wanted to try and dive into how we use politics beyond just rhetoric um, and beyond just you know pandering towards different groups right mm-hmm. how how is it possible for me as a Christian American to um, engage in the political network in a way that um, represents my values but also doesn't 
um, pander towards Christians for my own uh, like exploitive purposes, mm-hmm. and that doesn't repress people who don't believe that I what I believe, mm-hmm. right? Um, and those were things that I started asking because you know as a, as a as a child, um, it was never really like straight out said this way to me, but there was this expectation that um, for like within politics, you just you vote for the Christian. Right. Or you vote for the, the most Christian candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I began to understand at this point that what that meant wasn't often what I understood as, you know, Christianity. Growing up in East Africa and sitting under that tree for church um, and visiting Southeast Asia and living in the American South. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Christianity was so much more nuanced than that. So to just say, vote for the Christian or vote for the one that represents Christian values, <laughs> I was like, well, that, what does that mean? That, that could mean anything and nothing at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, and that, that brings me to uh, my undergrad. Um, I moved back to the American South. <laughs> I, I went to a, a Christian private college in East Tennessee, again, um, which I think gave me, uh, and I majored in political science. Um, So studying policy, specifically international relations. I felt like that applied to my past as, you know, a missionary kid and my love for different contexts. Mm -hmm. Um, I I gained, I think, a better understanding and appreciation for um, the traditions of politics, political liberalism, political conservatism. Mm-hmm. Um, I also gained, on a religious perspective, an appreciation for a rural church tradition that I hadn't really had very much before, mm-hmm. um, especially the like the Appalachian folk tradition mm-hmm. of theology. Um, one of my friends from East Tennessee very endearingly calls it uh, hillbilly theology. Yeah. Um, and, but, but, like, but like very down to earth and love for the earth and care for creation um, and, and small tight-knit communities um, that on the outside seem exclusionary. Um, but when I began to research them, I also saw at the same time um, uh, like a deep love for one another in the world that they lived in. And that, and that was beautiful and I loved that. Um, taking political science classes, I was introduced to so many ways that um, one's politics and one's religion are so intertwined um, and often ways that uh, one's religious views cannot be separated from their political actions. Things like um, liberation theology, the liberation theology movement in South America mm-hmm. um, and the way that um, like priests were leading the push against you know political authoritarianism. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the religious writings of Leo Tolstoy, the Russian, who was talking about um, uh, political nonviolence protest mm-hmm. and how that's probably one of the most Christian things we can do mm-hmm. um, in a community um, and how that even influenced people like um, Mahatma Gandhi in India and eventually Martin Luther King Jr. here in, in the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and just these, these different examples of how um, trying to separate the two or, or cause a distinction between the two or just saying, well, one influences the other all the time just can't, can't be accepted. Like, can't be, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't reconcile that. Um, yeah. I also, um, I, I took a course on, you know, religiously uh, motivated violence um, mm-hmm. and nonviolence as well and, and learning about um, religious extremism uh, of all of all different faiths um, and that was uh, sobering but I think also really important as a person of faith to see the dangers of um, 
no longer valuing the lives and the um, embodiment of your community uh, and, and instead placing a higher priority on, on one's belief um, to the very negative consequences of, of others. And that was difficult. Um, I also had a phenomenal opportunity to study abroad uh, while I was in school in the Middle East, which, which we talked about. First episode. Yes, great first episode. A banger. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that, that gave me uh, a lot more personal experience with these policies and regions and communities that I'd studied mm -hmm. in a classroom um, and learning how to um, uh, live in a Muslim-majority nation and uh, visit a mosque and see uh, spirituality there and then also go and sit with the Christian minority there and listen to them mm -hmm. and work with uh, Christian refugees being forced out by um, religious extremists and and like uh, seeing all of that and and having all that swirl around in my mind it really like pushed open uh, you called it in your last episode like the gray a lot more mm -hmm. um, but not in terms of like well nothing matters yeah. but just in terms of like uh, it, it's so much more personal yeah. um, even things that we see as like political maybe black and white things like like the Israel Palestine conflict it's just it's so personal um, not just for the people that live there, but for people all around the world. So you can't you can't separate those two. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that kind of leads me to where I am today. Uh, I think especially um, being a person who has a degree in studying politics and looking at the events happening specifically in our country right now, um, widespread protest, um, a growing movement talking about um, a history of sexual assault specifically towards women yeah. um, the the imbalance of race mm -hmm. um, all of that is both um, you know it's frightening I think it's it's worrying but it's also really exciting for someone like me who's tried yeah. to study that a little bit and I see so much there um, so much potential for people of faith to engage in these topics mm -hmm. these things that we might see as like social justice issues mm -hmm. as something beyond that, something that's beyond politics, something that's beyond social justice. It's a matter of caring for your community. Mm -hmm. um, and that necessarily involves politics. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you mentioned like the personal aspect of some of those things. I mean, just the things you mentioned, like the racial injustice in this country, mm -hmm. sexual assault, those are not just quote unquote issues. Those are very personal things. Yeah. For pe those those define people's entire lives, and they either, you know, allow them to flourish or oppress and uh, deny them basic rights. And so, like, pol that's that's politics and religion are intertwined with those things. And we were seeing resurgence of those things in this country. Sure. And like, what yeah. what better time to actually start engaging with politics and Absolutely. connecting how religion Absolutely. involves with that? So I think yeah. that's exactly. And I think I think as well. Um, I mentioned earlier, like as a kid, you know reading and, and embodying and, and and internalizing this idea of like a personal faith mm -hmm. um, was important for me and, and and I found value in that and I still do yeah. um, but I also you know through studying politics and through studying marginalized communities and how um, political action can help people um, I began to see maybe more a role for um, like a communal focus of faith um, and and not just looking at like faith but also sin um, moving sin away, I began to um, like 
still, you know, recognize the concept of sin, like individual and personal, but also to see like the possibility that like there's communal sin mm -hmm. and there's maybe even national sin, um, like these, these terrible like sins of slavery and of the genocide of the Native Americans, uh, uh, things that we have not reconciled with as, as a country mm -hmm. um, impact the way we treat others. Um, and, and to begin to see, right, well, how, how can we address those sins just as we are called to address the personal sins of other people? Maybe the best way to do that is to engage politically to right those wrongs. Uh, you know, uh, especially in the U.S., we have the privilege of a political system and a government that is meant to represent the community, not just a privileged few. Um, I think it's flawed in many ways, but yeah. that, that's the intended purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and I think because of that, we have an opportunity to use that um, to right those wrongs, uh, like religiously, if you want to use sins. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of where I've landed today is I, um, I've gained a lot from uh, my understanding of, uh, you know, Southern religion, but also religion and Christianity from all over the world. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, I feel motivated to engage in politics rather than to step away. Yeah. Um, I would probably call myself, well, I, I would certainly call myself um, uh, maybe a progressive Christian, yeah. um, but in, in, the, in the sense that um, I believe we need to move with caring for the world, caring for people, mm -hmm. um, and I think that putting up those boundaries as the church doesn't do that, and it doesn't actually help anyone other than ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and politics is a way that we can tear those boundaries down and engage with people different than us and care for them. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Awesome, that's <laughs> There's it. a bit wow. of that. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you for sharing. That's that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. And I hope that uh, yeah, people will find themselves in that narrative a little bit. And, sure. And I'm um, I'm hoping that that begins to you know maybe uh, give people a better understanding of where I come from mm -hmm. with these things. Um, Certainly, if you disagree, I'm happy to converse. I love that kind of thing, um, politically or religiously. Um, but also, if, if maybe you feel in the same boat, like just, just recognizing what you said, that like um, you don't have to um, you know, toss out everything you've been raised to believe um, in order to change how you feel about things. It's, it's a lot more like that uh, brick house rather than the... The card house, yeah, it's a great analogy. By the way, it's good. You can you can have it. You I'll keep it. it. Yeah, I'll keep you it. Can keep it. <laughs> you guys, and I don't know if I. I think I came up with it. I think it's an original, but all listeners have. Permission. If it's not, we're gonna be in yeah. so much trouble. But. If you're a listener and not a hater, you have permission to use it. So cool. Well, thanks, Patrick, for yeah. sharing that. That's really Thank cool. You. And uh, I think I think there's parts of both of our stories that we can unpack. We will unpack more in future oh, episodes. Yeah. And sure. a few of the things that we touched on, like you know, human trafficking or yeah. even more of the experiences in the Middle East mm -hmm. or, I mean, yeah, there's so many little bits and pieces that's like, it's just a flyover that, yeah. Um, that, yeah, it will be exciting to zoom in on and kind of oh, absolutely. more. And so. we certainly will. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah.